Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Neil Garfield Show, a presentation sponsored by the Living Lies blog, GTC Honors, LendingLies.com, and The Garfield Firm, servicing all 50 states and 24 countries with news and analysis about the largest economic crime in human history. This program is for general information only and should not be used as a substitute for legal advice or consultation with a licensed professional. This show is not intended as a solicitation for the engagement of any services. And now, presenting world-renowned author, trial lawyer, CLE lecturer, and court-approved expert witness on securitization of death, Neil Garfield. It's Charles Marshall here, in for Neil. And it is uh, September 23rd, 2021. Uh, Welcome to everyone. Uh, The topic of today's show is all around the uh, foreclosure tsunami that I know we've mentioned is out there. And uh, I think all listeners to this program know that there really uh, is, despite all the delays and all the kind of uh, interim and temporary and, frankly, uh, largely slipshod at the end of the day, supports from the federal government and various state governments in the form of forbearances through a moratorium. Foreclosure payments have been pinned, but not permanently suspended. So they're still on the books, and this is the case also with the eviction uh, situation that uh, some of our listeners have been through uh, in post-foreclosures of their cases. So I think it is very concerning that the moratoriums at the national level don't appear that they're going to be continued. Uh, there probably is going to be an effort within Congress to cobble together some kind of an extension or possibly some other type of interim fix. I don't think there's much happening uh, anymore at the national level that's going to change, at least the near future, where there are going to be demands put on Homeowners are in, who are in arrears and have had a forbearance protecting them for some time now, and there are going to be demands put on those in an eviction scenario after foreclosure where in various states, particularly California, those who were going to press forward otherwise and evict these homeowners after foreclosure, they have been sort of holding their powder, so to speak, I don't see that happening anymore. I am seeing a lot of cases against former former homeowners being filed as we speak. These are post-foreclosure cases. Remember, only San Diego County, of all the counties in California, the 50-plus, only San Diego County had an actually explicit, uh, it was called an ordinance, it was essentially a moratorium, And it did protect briefly San Diego County tenants who specifically had their properties go to sale. 
Normally, they're different types of UD, that's what I call unlawful detainer, as everyone knows, that's a shorthand. UD legislation of various kinds in California has, in some cases, excluded for many purposes post-foreclosure tenants. I call them holdover tenants, which the other side will dispute that term and say you had to have had a bona fide tenancy uh, to be a holdover tenant later, meaning you're holding over from when you were a legal tenant. Well, clearly they were homeowners and they controlled the property. Yes, as of the time of the sale, theoretically they're an illegal tenant, but they're still occupying and they're still residents, so they are a tenant in some way. If they weren't a tenant in some way, in California, unlawful detainer uh, law would not be something available to them, and they could be summarily evicted, and they could be thrown out on the street potentially within a week of the uh, property to go into sale, but that's not how it works in California. That's not how it works in any state that I'm familiar with. I mean, the UD procedure in some states is very summary, even more summary for post-foreclosure tenants. However, the reality is in California, they need to be uh, given the due process and the due procedure of an actual unlawful detainer case, and that's how the law works here. So it's not good protection, but it's some protection. Now, on the foreclosure front, there are, I think, a lot of things that can be done to try to uh, to get out in front of the, the notices of default and the other demands that are going to be forthcoming. And in judicial foreclosure states, there is always some kind of prefatory, you know, prefacing time period as well. It's not as if a lawsuit is just filed without some kind of demand being made on the uh, so-called borrower uh, that he or she must make the deficiency whole or otherwise they're going to be sued for it in uh, a foreclosure case in a judicial state like Florida or New York. Now, speaking of the national and even the state's moratoriums, New York is the is the one state, I'm not saying there aren't any others with some protections, but New York's moratoriums as they are for both evictions at some level and foreclosures at some level, I mean, they are going to continue uh, past October. I don't have exact dates on that. I think those of you who are more cognizant and plugged into New York law, it uh, would be helpful if you would share that information for those in New York. And Neil's blog is also a good resource for coordinating on the specifics on that. Uh, the great thing about Neil and how he works is there really is a loose network. It's not an official group per se, but there's a very uh, defined network of sorts that we can all rely on and coordinate with. Speaking of more formal networks, I do think it's important that listeners know, and it's very, uh, I think, timely for today's show, and you will find this information on Neil's blog, uh, the 
what's known as APON, that's the American Property Owners Network. Uh, this is a relatively new group, and they are very committed to defending homeowners' interests, fighting the banks, making changes in the law. They're seeking in Florida, as some listeners will know, to have some major uh, changes made in Florida law so that the overall foreclosure law is more protective of homeowners. California is certainly right for this. Uh, as Neil himself has noted, and I have noted, it's, it's, it's a great anomaly. I think one might even call it a travesty that in California under Ivanova and even Shirata, those are two of the most protected, even though they're not that protected, but somewhat protected uh, of homeowners cases of the last several years that are actually published, appellate opinions that are actually published, I'm very familiar with appellate pen, opinions that are wins for our side not being published, and I've had others on my behalf uh, without coordinating with me trying to get try to get my uh, appellate opinion published to no avail so far. Nevertheless, uh, on the even over front, remember there's dicta that comes pretty close to a holding to the effect that they, the way California courts will continue to look at a non-judicial foreclosure situation, and this is true in other non-judicial foreclosure states as well, the way they'll continue to look at it is, oh, if your property has not actually gone to sale, then you're, you're doing a preemptive strike so to speak, and you are uh, really not in damages until your property goes to sale. So your harm is speculative, your damages are conjectural, and everything else is kind of considered to be uh, not right for litigation. Even though uh, a lot of these cases uh, at, at, at various stages do go through to litigation. So I think lit litigators in California should interpret that, that dicta, and uh, I think a lot of non-judicial foreclosure attorneys have done so, <clears throat> whether they're in California or elsewhere. Uh, absolutely, there's legal support for these cases going forward, even if there are not uh, sale dates that have actually happened because that's the very harm that uh, the cases are attended to, intended to address. In some cases, and some judges do grant uh, where requested temporary restraining orders, uh, and some judges do, do grant preliminary injunctions based on those TROs. So, yes, some of these cases do go forward. I think as a a practical matter and for purposes of today's show, it's critical that listeners understand that part of the way you get ahead of this is if you're in a judicial foreclosure state and you've gotten your default letter of some kind and you've gotten the follow-up and you've gotten what's clearly 
kind of state compliant documents and informationals and demands that are insistent that you do X, Y, and Z and pay X, Y, and Z. It's absolutely important. It's not uh, critical in the sense that all your rights will go away, but what we're trying to emphasize, emphasize Bill and I on, on the show today is that it really is important to get out in front of this stuff. And the sooner you can, the better. I mean, remember, for legal problems, and this is not just in the legal uh, realm of foreclosure, the entire arena of litigation, the entire arena of legal problem solving, it has built into it, particularly in the Anglo-American context, this notion of, remember, you have an individual advocate. You hire attorneys to represent your interests, not to represent some general interest, not to represent some general theory, but to represent you, your legal interests to protect you. And the whole point of a retainer is you, you hire somebody even in advance of when the problem is absolutely right. And the reason you do that and the reason it's advisable, certainly, and especially in the foreclosure arena, is because by getting that retention in advance, one, you know the attorney that you prefer to work with is available, that there are a lot of vagaries and there are a lot of kind of real-life, even legal-life scenarios that attorneys deal with, and they may not have the time to fold your case into what they're doing. They may be out of town for a while. They may be taking on other projects, not even related to law. I mean, there are a lot of moving parts in a lot of people's lives now. I think everybody is kind of cognizant that in the COVID era, coordinating with people is not something you can take for granted at all. And the sooner you get clarity about somebody's availability, the better. And yes, sometimes it will make sense to retain an attorney in advance, even if something you know, it's not absolutely happening. Remember, you're retaining them for litigation. So the idea that, oh, a foreclosure attorney can't consult with you or connect with you till your property goes to sale, that's simply not, it's simply not the case. Again, there is no prevailing law, including Ivanova, that absolutely forbids uh, bringing a lawsuit where the property has not gone to sale. If that were the case, by the way, then every lawsuit, whether it was in California or not, related to foreclosure where the property had not gone to sale, there would be an immediate demand of sanctions. There would be uh, an immediate uh, demand that the case be pulled uh, as simply completely without merit. I mean, these cases will get demurs in California, and those are often upheld, but they're not uniformly upheld. And also remember that under Anglo-American law, it's a fundamental principle that you can bring litigation for the purpose of uh, good faith extensions and prevailing law. And yes, these are the types of things we try to change, particularly in California law. So getting back to Neil's point, uh, which I think is worth uh, expanding on, it would be great if we could get petitions in front of the California Supreme Court. And I don't even mean like a legal conventional petition based on some of these particular things. 
it would be great if we could get cases in front of the California Supreme Court, um, not a specific foreclosure case, but where we are demanding that the law be reformed so that free auction cases are considered to be just as bona fide and just as uh, legally tractable, legally worthy as other cases. So, uh, Bill, I, of course, welcome you, uh, as always, on this show, and I'm interested to get your take on all this. Yeah, well, <clears throat> glad to be here, as always, uh, Charles. Um, good, good summary there, talking about the importance of uh, gearing up and being preemptive uh, when it comes to uh, any kind of preparation for either defending a foreclosure or um, taking, you know, certain actions uh, that, you know, don't necessarily have to be a uh, pre-foreclosure strike, as you would say in California under Ivanova. There's there's a lot of steps that can be taken that, you know, borrowers have a right to know to begin with under uh, RESPA, for example, to start getting some QWR uh, uh, letters out there, making specific requests to the servicers, debt validation uh, requests, things of that nature, where you can start to kind of uh, put these notices out there and start gathering information that comes back uh, to sort of maybe help build your case down the road or in the future. So. One of the things that um, I can see coming here is it's not only a tsunami of foreclosures just based on COVID and the effects of COVID and a lot of people who are going to be facing foreclosure who may have taken out loans that don't even date back to the original uh, financial crisis. We may be talking about people who took out loans in the last, uh, you know, recent few years, for example, right before COVID hit and then financial hardship set in and so on and forth so on and so forth now as of right now from my desk i haven't been seeing or being i haven't been contacted by many prospective clients uh looking to analyze loans that were uh originated in the, you know the recent three four five six years even what's amazing is that uh we have actually the the pre-tsunami that still exists from the crash of 08 I'm I'm beginning to get uh, lit up with calls and emails and inquiries and stuff as things start to lift, and many of these cases um, are con- just a continuance of loans subject to securitization of the crash of 08 that are still in existence and still in the hopper uh, to this day. So we still have to clear that out, you know, contrary to what the media has reported that Oh, the foreclosure crisis that ended years and years and years ago, and now we may have this new uh, crisis coming up based on COVID. Well, the first tsunami's never subsided to begin with, and so we've got all that to address and clear up. And and so for those of you who are still battling and still in the fight from these loans that uh, have a lot of seasoning behind them and a lot of history behind them, um, from my vantage point and desk, you know, we've made a heck of a lot of progress in understanding the the players, who's who's doing what, uh, the defects, deficiencies, all these things that can really assist in um, defending against those parties now once they start to fire up these uh, foreclosures once again. And so 
being proactive when it comes to those loans. So I'm going to kind of put them in two kind of categories, sort of the ones stemming back towards the date of the original crash in 08, and then maybe some of these current ones coming up that probably will have arguments and things that I have not seen before. I'm just, I guess I can't predict until I see a few of those cases start to come in, but um, it's very, very important to be, again, be proactive. And when I say that is even with the, the big moratoriums and the stays, there's still been, uh, there's still a lot of people, players and entities and servicers uh, that can be investigated and looked into everything from their, do they have the proper licensing? Who's who? You can still do a lot of preemptive investigative work on what currently exists, either in the land records that have been filed for the non-judicial uh, proceeding that's been halted, or if new documents now suddenly start to come up. Um, it's really important to wrap your hand, head around um, the evidence and the facts and to look very, very carefully and, and do a real deep dive on all of these documents and the parties and where they're coming from and so on and so forth to develop a, um, a strong strategy of um, discovery and, and whatnot when the time comes. So um, I can't stress this enough, and I've talked about this in other shows. Um, those that come and they wait till the last minute and kind of sit on their hands and they contact uh, me and say, hey, I need you to look at something because I have a filing due now in court uh, in seven days or 10 days or something of that nature. It's really, really difficult, if not impossible, uh, now with the way the calendar is shaping up um, to, to, do, uh, to do the work and to do it, you know, do it well um, when you're up against the fire drill and on short notice. And, and, of course, attorneys need a lot of time, as you know, Charles, to – to read and, and prepare and all that sort of thing. So uh, the sooner you understand the need for these types of services, um, it's, it's never too late. It's always best to get started as soon as uh, possible uh, to start getting into what's going on at the bottom of things. Now, one last point here, I'll, and I'll give it back to you, Charles, is that I can anticipate if it's anything like the first crash in 08, uh, this next crash is going to, uh, be very, very um, trying, I guess you could say, in other words, to uh, and taxing on the court system, on everybody involved. And there's some pros and cons to that. Uh, you know, back uh, in the day, it was unfortunate that places like Florida would have rocket dockets and they would uh, try to speed these cases through without giving proper due process to homeowners and their arguments and whatnot to try to speed and expedite uh, these uh, for ram them through as fast as they could because they were overwhelmed. Well, that's certainly not a good thing, but, um, but one of the, one of the things to understand is that the servicers and the parties who are seeking to collect and foreclose, they're going to be really stressed and taxed as well. And that's a good time sometimes to, apply the pressure, so to speak, because the right hand often doesn't know what that left hand is doing. And when those servicers are being taxed and pushed and stressed in all kinds of directions because they've got tremendous pressure to ram, you know, tens of thousands of foreclosure proceedings through, they're more apt to make mistakes. And so in a way, it can be a good time to uh, understand how to apply 
pressure to these parties for information and evidence and those types of things because um, stress tends to lead to mistakes. So I guess that's one of my last uh, key points uh, to make that um, we don't really know yet how the courts are going to adapt and how they're going to uh, try to rush and shortcut a lot of these processes as they did in 08. Um, it kind of remains to be seen. So uh, everyone, please, uh, if you're facing this situation, don't waste any time. It's, a, it's, a, it's incredibly important to be proactive. Charles? Uh, absolutely. I mean, I don't think it's possible uh, for me to emphasize enough how important that is. The only caveat that I would put to that, and uh, I don't even know that I would call it a caveat, but it's certainly a word that one might use. At the same time, I don't want listeners or those in a different situation where you have waited and you already have foreclosure notices uh, that you haven't really dealt with, and maybe you're already in front of a situation where you have a filed notice of trustee sale and you just received one recently, or you have a filed judicial foreclosure lawsuit and you were just served that recently. So if that's your situation, we're certainly not saying that uh, because you didn't deal with it proactively and and, and at an earlier time period, coordinate with either uh, Neil, Bill, or myself, or anybody else uh, to get your situation addressed, that therefore there's nothing that can be done or it's too late. We certainly don't mean that, and I think listeners understand that. I'm just also appreciative that it's important to convey that even if your situation is one of last minute. Uh, I mean, if it's literally a last minute and your property is going to sale tomorrow, that type of situation, that's always going to be very, very difficult for anybody to deal with, no matter what their legal expertise is. But let's say you have a week or two or three. Well, as, as much as that does create compromising situations, Part of the beauty of the legal system, whether you're on the plaintiff side or the defendant side, so that's whether you're on the non-judicial foreclosure side as a plaintiff in these foreclosure cases or whether you are on the defense side as a homeowner uh, in the judicial foreclosure cases, both uh, these legal processes in all 50 states, they allow you to amend answers. They allow you to amend your complaints. They allow you to do discovery and then do supplemental discovery when something that you could have or should have included didn't, didn't, didn't get done. Then you could go back and address it. And, uh, you know, even in a very summary proceeding like an unlawful detainer, uh, I mean, Bill has a case now that he's working on, and uh, he might be talking about that on a future show. Uh, but it's important to uh, keep in mind that even in an unlawful detainer context, I don't know the 50-state unlawful detainer rules. I certainly know that in California, and I suspect they're pretty similar around the country. Uh, I also realize there are some variations. But in California, discovery happens on a very quick basis in unlawful detainer court, and yes, that can create problems 
for the defendant homeowner when they're being uh, evicted, if they have an eviction lawsuit on them. On the other hand, the rules allow both sides, the UD plaintiff against the homeowner and the homeowner defendant, defending against the UD plaintiff. With discovery rules in California, rather than 30 days to respond, you only have five days to respond, and those are calendar days. So the fifth day has to fall on a court day, just as it would with any discovery uh, framework. That's a very quick time frame, and borrowers can, can use that to, to their advantage. I mean, we'll, we'll get into some of the nuts and bolts on that. In a future show, I think uh, the takeaway for today is get ready. It's coming. The foreclosure season is upon us yet again. Emil will be back next week. Thank you, Bill. And uh, I will be back. Thanks, Charles. Thanks, Bill. The opinions expressed on The Neil Garfield Show are those of its hosts and should not be ascribed to any other persons or entities. For more information about Neil, the blog, or upcoming seminars, please visit livinglies.me. Give us a call at 954-451-1230 or send an email to n-e-i-l-f-g-a-r-f-i-e-l-d at hotmail.com. Thank you for listening to The Neil Garfield Show. If the information has helped you, consider making a donation by visiting livinglies.me.